I think for a lot of my elder family members, they didn't really feel like that they were citizens. You know, most of them could not vote. The general idea was that we had no say. We had to fight extra hard because we weren't recognized as citizens. Welcome to episode four of COVID Conversations, a micro-series in Theater Simple's podcast, Park Bench. For episodes three and four, we are exploring thoughts on being a citizen, citizenship, citizenry, and one's culture around these ideas. Full transparency, episode three dropped on December 14th, 2020, with this episode slated for publication shortly thereafter. But as that month saw the growing challenges toward the U.S. elections, driving toward the events of January 6, 2021, the subject of being a citizen took on different context. So we went back to editing to listen with fresh ears. With that as our backdrop, we've got a kaleidoscope of thoughts from people around the country and around the world. Park Bench is an interactive public art piece that resembles a tiny park on a hill where we invite people to have a seat and have a chat from a slightly different perspective. But COVID-19 has impacted our work and lives too, so we adapt. These are recorded phone calls or cell phone voice memos. You will hear a difference in recording quality as we go, but hopefully you can still hear the conversation and engage with these ideas wherever you are. If you would like to be part of a future podcast, check out our website at theatersimple.org. You'll find a link to COVID conversations under podcasts. Jump in. But for now, here is episode four of COVID Conversations, Thoughts on Being a Citizen. For me growing up, once I discovered that I had a voice and that um, I could fight for myself, I could speak out, you know, I, I told myself I would never allow that voice to be quelched. Coming to America in 1950, I was six and a half years old and attended a one-room school in rural Ohio. When we started school, my sisters and I, we did not know English, did not understand it. And being in that school was an immersion. I've been really struggling lately with what it means to be an American citizen and if I want to continue being an American citizen. And if I'm not an American citizen, then who the F am I? (laughs) I am an African-American woman who lives in Seattle, Washington. I am a female living in Wyoming in the United States in Laramie. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I am presently in Taipei, Taiwan. I mean, I do believe in in participating in your government and participating in your society. And I appreciate growing up in a country that does have those freedoms. I appreciate that I have grown up in a democracy. And, um, yeah, I'm sorry. That's why I have to keep walking away because I am like, I think we're losing it. (laughs) I don't know. 
don't know. I'm afraid we're losing that. I immediately, as soon as I was able to read and uh, also speak, I became very interested in American history, world history, geography, partly, I think, because being from another country, having crossed the ocean and lived in displaced persons camps, I probably desperately needed to know my place in the world and my place in America. The school itself was a really microcosm of what citizenship in a community means. It goes to a conversation that I had with my my maternal grandmother, who um, was Native American. I remember her telling me I was going to have to fight my entire life, that being born a black female was almost a curse, that um, the way this country ran, I didn't have many opportunities or chances to succeed and that the only way I would is if I fought really hard. I must have been about eight, nine years old, and I remember deciding that my life was going to be different, that I was going to prove them wrong. Citizenship it means we are part of a society, and we're trying to build a society that is just and equitable. Like, how amazing would it be if compassion was the system instead of us having to use compassion to fight the system? I didn't have the transition point from being a passive citizen to an active citizen. Like, I was raised, like, if you're going to be part of America, like, you need to be actively engaged in your, in, in your government. One way of thinking about citizenship is uh, rights and protections. And one of the challenges with thinking about citizenship only in terms of rights and protections is that it's easy to slip into the idea that what the American concept of freedom means is uh, I get to do whatever I want and to hell with you. I am Chicana or Chicanex, Latinx, Latina, Mexicana, uh, Mexican-American. I am first generation and a proud daughter of immigrants. I was born in Wyoming, but I live in Minnesota. I identify myself as a overeducated, upper-middle-class white lady. I am in Seattle, Washington. Another way of thinking about citizenship is, instead of rights and protections, but obligations. What are the obligations that come with being a citizen of a city, a country, a planet, and that if you are a citizen of something, you are part of something bigger than just yourself. You are aligning yourself with a larger community. I was brought up with a different idea of what it was to be a citizen, that it was always an active thing, um, because my mother was an, an attorney who worked for the government and in, in private institutions, but mostly for the government, and then later became a judge. As little as I can remember, she would always bring me to the polling station with her. And I remember when I was, I think, around 11, 
there was a ballot initiative and I was so for it. And my mom was like, great. So we're gonna go to these meetings and you're gonna go door to door. You're gonna talk to people and you are gonna campaign for this Greenway that you want. And so that I never got the idea that citizenship was a passive idea. Even if the machinery is so large that one voice gets drowned out, the minute that the population starts feeling that it is unheard, that is when democracy itself starts failing. I feel like when I was young, what I thought about what it meant to be a citizen was just like the paper, the document, right? Like you are a citizen because this piece of paper deems that you are and you can vote and you have these protections. And if you're not a citizen, you are without protections. And what really has evolved in that is citizenship is actually a practice, which I got from my mom. Like when <laughs> when I was four years old, she would dress she dressed us up and took us on Earth Day parades. And like she talked about the importance of voting, even though she couldn't vote. It, all these things, so many things that I learned about what it people would say now, what it means to be a good citizen, how it means to be involved. I learned from my parent who didn't have the right to vote, but she understood the value of participating and being educated. So I've been in the U.S. for about 20, let's see, I came here in 1994 and I didn't become a citizen until this year, 2020. It did give me a sense of empowerment and and freedom that I didn't expect to feel. I mean, citizen means home to me. That's what I think, uh, you know, living in Canada. Every now and then, I, you know, I really do sense my Americanness. I live in Canada, but my head's kind of in the United States. To me, being a citizen is first and foremost about, you know, who I am. The idea of being a citizen is both intrinsic to who I am, but also it's formed through the work I now do with Citizen University. And that is a citizen, no matter if you have the papers or not, is showing up as a pro-social contributor to your community. And that community can be the people on your street, the people in your neighborhood, uh, the community of people in your city, your county, or your country. I am a white cis female uh, living in Seattle, Washington, and I emigrated from France. I am a, a U.S. citizen uh, currently living in uh, Toronto, Canada. I was raised in the South, and, and now I'm a proud citizen of Seattle, Washington. My father is a Baha'i, which is a religion that uh, was very present in Iran, and there are Baha'is all over the world now. And one of the tenets of uh, that the religion is that people, by virtue of being people, are citizens of the world. So that's when I first heard that, wor that word, and I was, I would say, four or five, attending Baha'i dinners uh, with my family. And then um, I was raised around the world throughout my life. So I always sort of had this identity as a citizen of the world shaped by my father's ideals. Citizenship 
you kind of don't take it all that seriously until you are not until it actually matters. And then being an American living in Australia for a year it was the first time I really realized how American, how deeply American I am. It wasn't just the accent that so that was certainly a big part of it, but just this the outlook, the way Australians you know, always wanted to talk to me about Reagan and would lecture me about race and, and just the, the way I look at the world um, as an American. Um, I had sort of toyed with the idea briefly when I was traveling of, of you know, staying, um, just not going home. And it became quickly clear that I, that was never going to happen. I am deeply, deeply American. My first memory of being a citizen of the United States of America, is going with my mother, who had polio during uh, the polio epidemic in Louisiana uh, in the mid-40s, to our neighbors uh, on our street to drop off an envelope for the March of Dimes. She did this every year, and I just remember thinking, why, is she, why does she do this? Like she had polio, she's paralyzed and um, in one of her, you know, part of her body. And she never talked about it. It was never like a big deal. It was just like voting. It was just what you did, doing your civic duty and then just doing what's right for, for the common good. And I didn't realize that, but now that I think about it and the work I do now, uh, that, that's what helped form me. Well, in this country, our democracy is supposedly made up of the people. For the people to be recognized, we have to understand that we don't all have the same ideology, that we don't all live the same way. We don't all practice the same religion. And because of that, because of diversity, I think that is the key to having an equitable government is acknowledging that we are a diverse country made up of varied and many people. And we need to listen to the individual voices. I admit that I have envy of people who identify very strongly with a particular culture, you know, just a very firm cultural identity that people celebrate and carry on and pass on to their children and share. I love sharing other people's <laughs> cultural traditions, but I have never felt like I have any of my own that I am proud of. And I think that is why I struggle with my identity as an American because I don't have an identity, a culture that I identify with. And I know that there is opportunity for joy. And I know that a lot of people do experience that. And I can experience vicarious joy. I don't experience it myself. You know, my accent is actually much more representative of the life that I've had traveling a lot around the world and countering lots and lots of culture than of being, you know, fully French or fully American. So now I have these this dual nationality, and I think deep down in my heart, my my identity that matters to me the most is I'm human. 
and of course, you know, there's lots of complexity there that that I that I acknowledge and and work with. But on the heart level, I think the citizen of the world concept that that my dad brought to us uh, has been really a wonderful thing to hold myself and other human beings as whole. My identity as an American is has been is fairly strong. But that being said, I feel like right now. We're in a global situation, right? So I I feel like this being a citizen of the world, being a citizen of the earth is way more important right now than tribally identifying as a citizen of a country. And especially for Americans who identify so strongly with their citizen of a party that they will neglect their citizenship to our, our world that it is starting to break me of my connection to my country. Living in a small town, the um, whole community behaved towards us in a welcoming way. We were white, we were not a minority, and so I just assumed that America was a friendly, cooperative place. Once I went to college, the world opened up, of course. Up, up until recent years, my faith in American people was quite strong, and um, the belief that other people still strongly believed in the Constitution. I grew up, I think, like a lot of Americans, particularly a lot of Americans, a lot of white Americans of my generation. I grew up feeling that America actually was the greatest country on earth. One of the things that I think is really important about the U.S. is maintaining that sense um, that difference can be respected and that everyone has a shot. I think a lot of white Americans are beginning to realize that maybe it's not so fair. Being a citizen, I think, is trying to make that um, to operationalize that, make that real. And that's really, really hard, and we fail a lot. Um, and we're failing a lot recently. But it's there, and, and part of being a citizen is voting for it, but also making it happen at the local level, behaving in a way that gives everybody a shot. If we want to be thinking about citizenship in terms of other people, we need to be taking care of each other. And we also need to start thinking about which different communities we are citizens of. Because if you are a citizen, you are an individual that's part of a collective. If we're citizens of the United States, what are we doing to keep ourselves and our fellow Americans, all of them, safe and cared for? When it comes to protections or healthcare or education, all these large, what sometimes seems insurmountable questions, if we took daily practices and made it a, um, a, took it upon us to do that every single day um, or every single week, which we do practice citizenship, you know, you practice whether you're engaged in it or not. You being disengaged um, means that you are allowing other people to make decisions. The work that we do at Citizen University is to teach people how to recognize and claim their power as citizens 
And again, I when I say citizen, I don't mean uh, having the papers. There are plenty of people who were born in this country and do not do much of anything to show up as big citizens. And then there are plenty of people who are here undocumented but show up like big citizens. We all have some kind of power. And so we teach how to find your power, how to use your power, and how to make sure that you are connecting your power with character. I believe to the core of who I am that uh, there are huge responsibilities that a citizen has to both the people that are around them and to larger society as a whole. And the, the, the ideas are huge. The, the, the feelings should be huge, but that doesn't mean your acts have to be huge. You can practice great citizenship in very small ways. Find the issue that you love and be a nerd about it. Is it climate change? Is it like police accountability? Be a nerd about it. Those budgets are public. Get into the weeds if you love numbers. Transfer that energy to one thing. Now imagine if that energy was like put into something you deeply care about in terms of citizenship and justice, and it will ripple out and the work will happen. There are so many like mutual aid and local activists and community orgs that are like pulling out of just nothing, like operating out of like garages and like one bedroom apartments. <laughs> I speak passionately about this because I am one of those people who's running out of our uh, out of our garage a mutual aid for farm workers in Washington. And like actually one of the biggest forms of citizenship I've seen is just people showing up for us. We've had people volunteer to like take donations and they would have driven it across the state and back in one day. We have to acknowledge that to have the society we want takes work and it is time to start like getting our hands dirty for each other. And we all need each other right now. And I think like that's the thing I keep finding more and more with citizenship is that we need each other more, not less. The um, class issues, you know, where you have, you know, super rich and super poor, especially in a country like the United States, just seems um, ridiculous. It shouldn't happen. And I know that has me broaching the edge of socialism. I live in the heart of Seattle and I see the increase of homelessness, which just leaving my house puts me in despair seeing so many people on the street and and seeing so many families on the street, you know, is it just shouldn't be happening. Life in Chicago between 1966 and 1968 was in a turmoil with the Vietnam War. Of course, living in a big city, life or my mind began to change about the world and the country and what serious problems we were facing. In a way, it was like my Pollyanna approach was beginning to become more realistic. 
all these experiences that I had, the locations where I have lived, have been milestones in my intellectual growth as well as my self-understanding about what I am in this society and what my responsibilities are. I think being a citizen and having citizenship is being a productive and participatory member of a community, nation, and government. A government that is trustworthy to deserve our allegiance, to take our tax money, use it properly, make um, equitable, fair laws, provide security in a way that all citizens have assured rights and liberties. I've never thought that I'd ever experience an election where businesses felt they had to board up. That's not the United States of America that I thought we lived in. Was something that's so violently opposed. Um, Conversation, right? Like, I feel like there's no conversation anymore. I feel like we're at at each other's throats to the point where we are literally scared to have a free election. Civil society also really matters. Being a citizen in a much smaller way um, that isn't political at all, like, you know, coaching Little League. I think those things are also really important, just building a, a, a community and a society. The fight that I feel is really important, the one that I, is, is the American fight. I grew up believing in it as a, as a place, as an idea, um, and I hate to see it um, being uh, tarnished. You know, that's, that's where my, uh, my energy goes to. You know, a lot of people responded to me becoming a citizen with, so why this year? You've been here so long. You have a permanent resident green card. You can do pretty much everything other citizens, other, you know, Americans can do except for, well, vote and serve on a jury. But it became important because I noticed that I wanted to take part in, I, I want to say the revolution, but it's it's more, I wanted to take part in fighting uh, what I was, this rising of what looks to me like, like fascism and um, as a way to to be less afraid to take actions which I really wanted to take and also to claim myself as one of the people who live here and who who is American. And I don't I don't mean to imply that I'm apathetic about civic duty. I mean I still I vote. I I donate, I campaign. I I do believe in, you know, uh, doing everything we can to create the the society that we want to live in. Even when you are desperately in need, and I have just come off of a uh, six-month uh, cancer journey, I'll call it, to be, you know, somewhat positive, um, where I was the beneficiary of so many people saying, how can I be of service to this person and their family who is in need right now. And because I received so much goodness uh, in small and large ways, that I too, even when I was at my worst, could say, oh, how can I, how can I give back? 
and then know you you just will start to see how any small gesture ripples out when you are thinking of the greater good. For me, it's um, being able to feel recognized in your country and to have just the basic human rights that are guaranteed under this country's constitution. But personally, I also think with that right comes a responsibility to give back to your communities, to uplift your government, to support your government, to um, participate in the process of electing the officials who are going to guarantee our rights. And I honestly do feel a lot of Americans do not take advantage of that. And that just has to do with the systemic feeling that, you know, not every vote counts. You know, that is, I think, the basis of why so many people, and especially minority Americans, don't believe in the system. I I literally wake up thinking about this. How do you show up for others and just pull it back? Just, Just pull back in the morning when you wake up and think, what good can I do today? And I'm stealing that straight from Ben Franklin, who had a journal and every day, would write, what good can I do today? And every evening would write, what good did I do today? Yeah, how can I be of service? That's really it. How can I be of service? And it's something that will change your life. First off, thank you for listening to COVID Conversations, Episode 4 of Thoughts on Being a Citizen. We so appreciate your connecting with us across the electrons, time, and space. Many, many thanks to all the amazing people who recorded their thoughts for us, really diving into this complex conversation. It certainly brought into the light that being a citizen is not always about a piece of paper, but about being a piece of a community. If you have thoughts on being a citizen, personal, community, or practical applications that you'd like to share and move these ideas ever forward, consider sharing this podcast with a friend or family and have your own conversation about it. And feel free to reach out and tell us. We're interested in hearing your takeaways and ways you may be investing in the citizenry around you. You can learn more about Theater Simple at theatersimple.org. That's T-H-E-A-T-E-R simple dot O-R-G questions, comments, suggestions for future conversations, there are links there. Our music is some of the splendid and exceptional work of Brent Arnold and Scott Adams. You should find links to their work in the show notes on our website. About the next podcast, the next topic is creativity and art in a time of isolation or pandemic. What is helping you? What new or older creative practices are you deploying for de-stressing or expressing yourself? 
What is your internal calculus about the value of creativity? Has it changed since March? The Park Bench interviews were conducted by Lisa Holland, that's me, and Andrew Litsky, who is also the editor extraordinaire for Park Bench. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you on the Park Bench someday. Have a seat. Tell us your thoughts. We'll tell the world.